Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you uh, for the gospel of Matthew. It is one of these truly fascinating gospels. I love uh, Matthew's account, his testimony. Uh, Lord, the, um, as most of us here are Gentiles, it is important to us to see the fulfillment of messianic prophecy, to see so much of, of the Old Testament uh, that was fulfilled. Uh, really, your story is seamless from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation. And, and Lord, today we are going to look at some difficult things for the next few weeks. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give me wisdom, Lord, in teaching and give me wisdom in knowing how to strain my thoughts um, so that we would have a, an understanding of the bigger picture, the implications, and that we would allow your word to speak to us. We thank you, Father, uh, for all that you have done and are doing in our lives and in our church family. Uh, we come before you now, and we ask that you would guide us as we uh, study your word. And it's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Matthew 24, verse 3. <clears throat> as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because lawlessness increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so when I started Bible college and seminary, there was a saying that I, that I learned very early on. Uh, often, seminary is, is said to be like trying to take a sip of water out of a fire hydrant. Um, and I fear that, that today, the next few weeks, I might be trying to give you guys a sip of water out of a fire hydrant. So uh, I'm encouraging you to buckle in, uh, put on your thinking caps. Um, I understand that there are probably about five of you that really like eat this stuff stuff up, and you're all energetic about it. To the rest of you, I'm really in your camp. This is not, you know, I. Uh, there are some difficult things over the next two chapters, which the the sermon on the Olivet discourse. Um, I I believe that. This is a section that I am obligated to sort of give a disclaimer on. Um, these two chapters, chapter 24 and 25, are known as the Olivet Discourse because they simply take place on the Mount of Olives. Um, 
The content of this passage or this sermon of Jesus is dealing with prophetical things. It's dealing with things that have not yet happened um, within evangelical, uh, Bible-believing Christians, great theologians and great, great minds. There is a wide range a wide range. There's a handful of opinions on on how this chapter is to be interpreted. Um, my aim is I would like to teach this with conviction, uh, being faithful to the Word of God. The problem is I have a very limited brain, and I'm not God, and so this is prophecy. This is stuff that has not happened. But, but even in saying that, I'm sort of, uh, that's coming from a theological perspective. There's a very small group of people, I believe, that it's, they have some problems to address, but, but they're called preterists, they, or the position that they hold is preterist. We don't walk around saying, you're a preterist. They, they, they believe that all, everything that we're about to cover in the next couple of weeks was fulfilled when Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. Um, <clears throat> but I don't want to get lost in the weeds. You can study these things on your own. Um, I believe that these things are yet to unfold. And so that, that there is um, there's speculate, there's speculation. There's, there's, we kind of take the whole of the Bible and tr- sort of uh, take the, the sticks and kind of put together the pieces. And we say, okay, well, this piece is here, this piece is here. There's a blank spot, but if that piece is there and that piece is here, that means that this should happen here, but... So we, so we handle this with great humility. It's not my intention or my aim to sort of cover all of the different positions. I feel like for those of you who are investors, if you read, um, you read an article sort of uh, giving sort of speculation on a, a very stock, they'll talk through the pros and the cons of the stock, all this stuff. And at the very end, there's a little disclaimer that it says this author holds positions in this stock or not in this stock. And so I kind of feel like I have to sort of, from the beginning, say, I, I, I hold some position in a very stock. I studied under David Jeremiah at my seminary. I come from a very dispensational background. I hold to a, I'm going to say some things that 90% of you don't care about, and that's okay. But to the 5% that you care about, was that I went to public school, so that was 90, that's 10% of you. <laughs> Sorry to all the home, all of the public school people I tend to offend when I say that, but I'm just making fun of myself. It's not you. It's me, really. Um, so, so when we look at this, the big picture is there's an understanding of the millennial kingdom when Christ will come and reign and rule for a thousand years. Um, it's, it's talked about in Revelation. Uh, this chapter, the book of Daniel and Revelation are key books to sort of piecing this all together. The millennial kingdom, the premillennialist, which I am and I have convictions about, um, says that Christ is literally going to return and he's going to reign for this thousand-year window. And then there's the, the tribulation period, which the Bible talks about. Daniel speaks about 70 weeks. It's not a week in the time that we know. It's a measure of time. Uh, it's believed that 69 weeks have occurred and that we're waiting for the last week that will start when the, the uh, tribulational period, a seven-year window leading up, um, Daniel speaks about this. So for those of you that care, I hold a pre-tribulational rapture 
and I'm pre-millennial. So I am going to teach from that framework. I understand. So everything that I'm looking through, I'm coming through with a specific lens. I'm giving you a disclaimer. I'm saying that. I have no ax to grind. If you view differently, that's totally okay. Like, it, it's, it's cool. <laughs> like, I'm just telling you where I'm coming from, and that's that I have convictions. I'm going to try to um, teach with great humility because this hasn't happened yet. And so we, we have to just, I want to take the text with all seriousness. Um, but quite frankly, my preference is to focus on the things of the Scripture that deal with, like, how's your marriage going? How, how's your relationship with your coworkers going? How's... Um, how are you parenting your kids? How, 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 uh, how are you doing with your relationship with God? That's like my preference, just to be totally like forthright with you. I'm not teaching in a seminary about uh, um, the end time stuff. I'm not writing books about end time stuff. And so, but I believe deeply in teaching the Bible, book at a time, verse by verse. It's something that I have strong, strong conviction about. It's what we as a church, as long as I'm the pastor here, what we take very seriously and so we've been going through Matthew. And now we're at the point in Matthew where I've got to sort of address this stuff because, you know what, Jesus talked about this stuff. And so I've got to deal with it because it's there. Not, this is, if I had to choose a Sunday to pick a chapter to teach on, I've never been asked to go speak somewhere one time where they said, you can speak on anything you want. I've never chosen to speak from this chapter. <laughs> but I'm teaching through Matthew. And so as we enter into this, we will be in the Olivet Discourse for about five weeks. Joel is already panicking because I've asked him to cover the last section. I said, you got an easy section already. He's like, I do not. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, sorry about that. So Joel is like meticulously taking notes, trying to prepare for when he's going to go in a few weeks. Um, as we get into this text, I want to frame sort of uh, this, this sermon there's five pillars that I think are, are critical for us to sort of keep our eyes on, and I think uh, everybody will agree. Um, theologians would agree. There's, there's, there's five pillars that we sort of have to address that Jesus deals with. I think that they're important for us to, to hold our framework. Um, and so the first was verse 3, which is we looked at it sort of last week. We, we looked at it this week. Um, the whole context of the whole Olivet Discourse begins by the disciples asking Jesus a question, really a complex question. They thought they were asking like basically one question, and they asked the question, tell us when these things will happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus had said that the temple would be destroyed. I think that there's a partial fulfillment in AD 70 when the temple was actually destroyed. So they said, okay, we understand the temple will be destroyed. The Messiah will come and reign. And this current kingdom that we're in will come to an end and the new kingdom will begin. So there's sort of three questions in there. They thought all of these three questions sort of had just like, there'd be like a simple answer from Jesus like, oh, that's going to happen on this date in a couple years and let's move on. But this whole sermon, Jesus is answering this question that they ask. The next thing that sort of tethers us into Jesus' answer is found in verse 15. There we read, therefore, when you see, and you'll notice it in bold letters or capital letters, I should say, the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. This is a parenthetical statement. Matthew's sort of given us a framework. He mentions the 
abomination of desolation. This is from the Daniel, the great prophetical book, chapter 9. Um, if you want a primer to sort of like ease into the shallow end of, of all that's being talked about here, I highly recommend David Jeremiah's book, The Handwriting on the Wall. It is essentially a book that he, it's, 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 uh, he preached through to taught through Daniel, and it was compiled into a book. Very user-friendly, very simple. If you get through that one, you're like, I want more meat. It's like, I can get you some that'll blow you away and put you to sleep at night, and I can, I'm happy to do that. But if you're just like, just give me like the framework, it's easy read. David Jeremiah's book, The Handwriting on the Wall, is one of the best books dealing with Daniel, and we'll give you an outline. Um, okay, so moving, so, so we know that Jesus, in his answer, he's going to reference Daniel chapter 9. Then the next one, down in verse um, 21, he says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So this is referencing Daniel chapter 12, this, this idea of this, this tribulational period, this period that, is, that, that, that the world has never, ever experienced. Um, he, he ties us to this series. So, so when we talk about the tribulational period, the reason that I sort of feel like that we're talking about the 70 week of Daniel is because Jesus throughout this talks about tribulation, the great tribulation, these, these periods. I'm screening my thoughts right now, and I'm doing a very impressive job, not saying more to try to keep it simple. Um, then we come down to verse 30, and we see the, the fourth thing. So the first thing was that the, the tethers us to the, the, the Olivet Discourse. The disciples asked the question. Every time that we're in Matthew chapter 24 through 25, we have to remind ourselves Jesus is answering their question. The second thing is... We're, we're, he's addressing from a Jewish mind this whole, this tribulational period, or I should say the, um, the abomination of desolation, this, this period. We see the great tribulation, the third one. And then the fourth one is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. And then the sign of the son of this, and then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes in the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Again, this is in bold, which tells us that it's a quote from the Old Testament. Bold, it's in high, it's capital letters. It's, it's from the Old Testament. This is a reference. He's quoting, referring to, referencing Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. You see the theme there. Daniel keeps coming up. And so this is the second advent. Bless you. Um, so we celebrated Christmas, the first advent. And then the second advent is when the Messiah will come to reign and rule. So, there, so he's beginning to address this time that they asked about their question. His return, when will he come back? When you look at this return, this, the, the Son of Man, you see like after the disciples watch Jesus ascend into heaven, they're sitting there going, what now? Two angels are like, hey, what are you like? What are you doing? They say, go, go carry on with your business. When he'll return in the same way, this will not be a missed experience. And then in chapter 25, verse 1, the fifth pillar then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins, and we'll get into all of that. I'll just, he goes into describing, talking about uh, what life will be like in the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure you didn't get all this. We're going to review a bunch of times, taking a sip out of a fire hydrant. So we have that this is framed. The disciples ask a question. Their question is talking about very Jewish things. They 
Jesus then begins to talk about Daniel 9, framing the, the abomination of desolation. Then he talks about this great tribulation from Daniel also, talks about the second advent, his returning as the Messiah that the Jews were actually waiting for. And then the millennial kingdom, he's going to get into this, uh, what his, his reign will look like when he comes back. And so as we look at verse 3, as we ease into this text, we see that he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. He'd left the Temple Mount. He'd walk down the hill. At the bottom of the hill is Kedron Valley. He would then walk up to the Mount of Olives. He's sitting down. The question is asked, and we will miss so much. Just not being Jewish, we're going to miss so much. And so I want us to sort of imagine, I found this picture. Um, this is sort of modern-day uh, Jerusalem. The picture is taken from a very wide angle. And what you're doing is we're looking from um, the top of Mount Olives across to the Temple Mount. So here's, here is the Kedron Valley down through here. All of these are, uh, it's a Jewish cemetery, so very important people. The closer you get to the Temple, the more important the people are. Um, then as you work your way up to the hill, this also is a cemetery along this wall. We're going to read another prophecy from, from Zechariah, but you'll notice likely Jesus was actually more north, where the picture's not taken from, but Google, Google failed me, but because this is where the bus stop is when you go to Israel to walk down to see. But over here, you would be sitting and you would look straight across, and this is the east gate. You go to Israel today, you'll see that the East Gate is totally cemented up, guarded up, blocked up. This whole cemetery here is a Muslim graveyard because they know that there's prophecy that the Messiah will come and he will enter from the east through the East Gate. And there's no way in their minds that a Messiah can enter over desecrated ground because Muslims are buried there. And so they're sitting there on this hillside. They're looking across at this beautiful temple building. I mean, they almost worshiped the building. They would, they would swear to people by the temple. And so the disciples are there crouched around Jesus. They're asking him a question that for us as Gentiles is like, hmm. Or maybe that's just my reaction. It's like, I don't know. Like, like I'm, I'm really into the, the so what. What does it mean in my life today? What do I have to do? But for them, I want you to turn with me back to Zechariah, and before you panic, and, and just I'll tell you where it is. If you just go towards the front of the Bible, you'll hit Malachi, and then right before Malachi is Zechariah, we're going to look at the very last chapter of Zechariah. And if you, um, if you make the trip, if you've been to the trip with the Israel, to Israel, this is the passage that we'll read on top of the Mount of Olives. Um, and so Zechariah gives this prophecy. This, the reason I'm reading this is I want you all to get into the mind of the disciples. Why are they asking this question? This doesn't seem to be a question that I think I would ask, but to a Jewish person who is expecting the Messiah, what they're expecting is Zechariah chapter 14 would be on the forefront of their mind. And so Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1, it reads, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, for the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth 
and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Now imagine this. These guys are getting the picture. This Jesus is the Messiah. They're convinced. Jesus just stormed out of the temple. He just said, this temple's going to be destroyed. He walks over. He sits down on the Mount of Olives, and they ask us, when are these things going to happen? Here, you're the Messiah. Your feet are standing right on the top of the Mount of Olives right now. Like, let's go, Jesus. What's coming next? Like, is this it? And the story gets even better. Look at this. This is fascinating. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, where this picture is taken from, just a little bit south. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half the mountain will move to the north and the other half to the south. This is kind of cool. God is making a way to move those sort of those graves a little bit out of the way, those Muslim graves to give access for the Messiah to enter. Crazy. You will flee by the, by the valley of my mountains for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you'll flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. In that day, there'll be no light. The luminaries will dwindle for there will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about that evening. About that evening time, there will be light. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. It will be summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name, the only one. So this is in their mind. In that prophecy, it talks about waters flowing out of Jerusalem. I have yet, to, well, no, I take that. I like when you go to Israel, I hope you will join us one day. When you go down to the city of David, you can go down for those claustrophobic people that are not happy with being in little tunnels. You'll go down, and then there's a fork in the road, and you're allowed to go down Hezekiah's tunnel that's dry, or you can go down the wet tunnel where water flows, and it's like waist-deep water. You're kind of, you go through this little cave. And uh, scientists have, or ge- uh, geologists have affirmed that be- below Jerusalem... There's a spring there, and the water there, they've affirmed that there's enough water there, if there was an earthquake, that this is exactly what would happen, that this much water is just sitting there waiting to erupt, to create a, a massive, massive spring. It's crazy. It just kind of works out. Like, you know what I mean? Like this, uh, mind-boggling to me. So as we're back in Matthew chapter 24, <clears throat> they are sitting there, Verse 3, the question surfaces because they know Zechariah 14. There's a bunch of other passages. They're expecting this Messiah to come, to reign and to rule, to free them from the bondage that Rome has placed them in. There are people without a land since they were taken into captivity in 586 B.C. and then 720, or backwards, 722 B.C. when the north was taken, and then 586 B.C. when the whole kingdom of Israel was taken into exile. They've been under sort of other rulers, other nations. They're fed up. They want to be freed. It would be 2,500 years before the nation of Israel would come into existence. In itself, that's a miracle. You land in Israel, it's a miracle. You've landed in a miracle that this nation exists. They're awaiting. They're longing for the, for the Messiah to come. So they ask their question. 
And then Jesus in verses 4 and 5, he says, and Jesus answered them, and he's going to continue answering them. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that the next two chapters, it's all red writing. Jesus answered it and said, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. So the first thing I see in this is that there's a warning that's given. Really in this chapter, uh, verse 4, verse 5, verse 11, verse 24, we see mislead many, mislead many, mislead many. So the very first thing that Jesus says, he gives a warning. Whenever I hear warning, I think about my warning light story. I was 17 years old. I had a sweet car. It was a 1971 Super Beetle. I wish I still had it. Anna and I, if we're ever in the newlywed game and we're posed with the question, what is your husband's dream car? She knows my husband's dream car is a 1971 Super Beetle, 1,800 cc's, not just original. Thinking cars are like $30,000 now, and I, why did I get rid of mine? You know, like a 17-year-old, I didn't see have the foresight. And one day, I, before I learned that I wasn't very mechanical, I thought I'd change out the radio, change out the radio of the car. Later in the day, this little red light popped on the dashboard. I've since learned that they call those idiot lights. And I'm, an, I'm a living example of why it's called that. So I'm driving around. The car's running great. And so I, I the little red light, I'm like, I should pull over and look through the book. And it's 1971, so the technology of computers and stuff, it wasn't really precise. So I thumbed through the book, and it said, oh, if that little red light's on, it means that you either have a heating problem or you have an electrical problem. I thought, oh, I'll just work on the radio. It's got to be electrical because the car is running great. So I'm like, driving my little car, you know. And all of a sudden, it just, I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Smoke out of the back. Turned out, I learned in hindsight why it was running so great is because it's air-cooled by a fan belt. That fan belt broke, which was the heating problem. And it was running so much better because without the fan belt going, I had more power available to me. And so since then, I've been very paranoid about little lights that come on my car it could be the windshield, wheel, windshield wiper fluid that comes on. Pull over, honey. <laughs> We're taking care of this right now because just in case it's something else, we got to be ready to go. My point is, in all of that story, is when you see a warning, it's a big deal. Jesus says people are going to be misled. It's going to be very easy to be misled. Don't be misled. Application point number one, Jesus, as he begins to answer them, He says, be very, very, very cautious because there are going to be many who will come in my name, many who will lead all sorts of people astray. Um, This is a huge lesson. This is why we stick to this. This is why I'm forced to cover passages like this that I don't necessarily choose to teach on. We go through the book of the Bible. The Bible is our guidepost. I take what the Bible says Very seriously, I believe that God has inspired the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. It's not about my opinion. It's not about church history. It's not about that. It is what do the scriptures say. And as long as I am the pastor here, we are committed to teaching the Bible faithfully. Now, the other lesson, I grew up in a a church where it was kind of boring. And so I'm also committed to trying to make it interesting because it's not, not to be funny, but the Bible's fascinating, and there's so many great stories here. And it saddens me that there are so many pastors that are killing people with boredom when this is a fascinating book. And so my prayer is that not only would I teach it faithfully, but I teach it in a way that, that we're all awake. Because you have to, if you're learned, you have to be awake. And so, um, so Jesus here, he says, 
twice, two of like three or four times, they ask that question, when will this happen? The very first thing that Jesus says is be careful because many will be taken astray. Many will be misled. So don't be misled. How do we not get misled? We don't get misled by allowing the scriptures to dictate that the scriptures are the guide. I am not the guide. I am just a man. And as Alistair Begg says, the best of men are men at best. And I'm not even one of the best. I'm just a medium, happy run-of-the-mill guy. And, and so our guidepost is the scriptures. Then we go into verses 6 through 8. And he says, you'll be hearing about, of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquake. But these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. As you all know, we have a, we've had a pregnant Labrador retriever at our house. She's, she's made the message a lot over the last few weeks. You know, kind of the coming of Jesus is just fit for me in my mind. Um, we've been sort of researching and it's like she's looked kind of miserable for a while. And so I'm reading, it's like, oh, well, a sign that things are getting close is they're going to start, like, burrowing. And so for weeks, she's been burrowing to, like, where her nose is bleeding because she's just trying to get comfortable, and she can't get comfortable. I'm, like, freaking out all over, like, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Oh, she's burrowing. She's burrowing. It's coming. It's coming. I'm calling Mara, who's, like, a breeder of Sharpays. Hey, Mara, is this it? She's like, just relax. You'll be fine. You'll be re- like. We leave for church next week, and it's like, we got to just, like, lock her in the room, like, because it's coming. And so I raced out of here from church last week, and it didn't come. It's like, what is going on? It's like, all the signs are there. I'm ready to get things going, but there's still a time. And so then during the church Charger game, thankfully, because there's nothing to watch at the Charger game, <laughs> ba- or, puppy, pup, puppy number one like, comes out. I go into super freak-out mode. Anna made me go sit on the couch. She's like, just relax. Like, I got this. Grace got said, I'm, I'm calling Mara. I can barely talk. Mara, Mara, get over here. The baby number one is out. We need, like, help. I did, like... Like a brand new dad, it was like crazy, amazing, beautiful. And so why am I sharing this? <laughs> Jesus shares all of this stuff in these verses. And what, 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 what does he tell us to do? Does he tell us to freak out? Does he tell us to stockpile ammo, to stockpile all sorts of stuff, to be able to survive for a million years? Application number two. Application number one is don't be misled. The second command that Jesus gives in this section is found in verse 6. See that you are not frightened. These prophetic things are not given to freak us out. They're not caused us to, to at every little news event that, that, that happens, to say the, the sky is falling, we need to panic, let's like button down the hatches, let's, let's isolate ourselves. Now, I'm not like, uh, like, I'm probably not the most prepared person, so I'm thankful for those of you that do prepare because I'm going to go to your house and say, hey, the Hanson clan's here. <laughs> And I'm not saying it's even wrong to, to be prepared. Like, that's, it's, it's, it's okay. But I think in our heart, what Jesus says, when all of these things, when, when th- like this chapter is not all about the rapture, but where the rapture, what we refer to as the rapture is mentioned, the whole mention of it is to bring people peace and comfort and hope. And so I think that this, whole se- this whole section, Jesus is trying to comfort his believers. Don't, don't be afraid. If you know me, you're Okay. It doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter if you're on a plane that crashes and it's going down. You're going to be okay because if you're in me, you're safe and secure. If the world is going to come after you, it's okay. 
He doesn't say that wars and rumors to war. He doesn't even say that this is the kickoff of these events. He simply says these are the birth pains. And if you've ever watched something give birth, like those like Braxton Hicks, Hicks contractions, these, these are like, they happen for a while. So we're seeing wars and rumors of war. I have no idea when stuff's kicking. I, I, the scripture makes it pretty clear that when it goes down, we'll all know. Like there'll be no more, like what everybody said, you'll know. And when that first baby came out, I was like, whoa, I mean puppy, like it's happening. We're here. Like this is it. We're it. This is it. We'll know. Point number one, don't be misled. Point number two, don't fear. It's going to be okay. Then we come down to verses 9 through 14. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. (laughs) That's awesome. And you'll be hated, that's good, by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because of lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. I'll keep going to the last verse here. Then this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Um, So this is one of those. I want to... There's, there's, there's a lot of mystery in this chapter. There are things that partway are fulfilled, part are yet... And, and from my... I gave you my disclaimer, so I don't have to keep giving a disclaimer. I'm, I'm teaching from how I understand it, and that, we'll just leave it at that. And if you don't agree, that's great. Um, that's okay. Um, there, there are things in this chapter that, like, there's partially fulfilled, there's partially yet to come, and it's sort of, like, in some ways... It, it, it's like prophecy has been described as looking at the horizon and seeing a mountaintop, but then as you head towards that mountaintop, you realize like, oh, there's a little peak there, then you drop back down, and then you go up, and there's another peak, and it's like, then there's a fourth peak. And so like five peaks of mountains can look like one mountain. And so prophecy has been described as sort of, Jesus is giving the peaks of the mountains, and even the Old Testament, not just Jesus, like the scriptures, when they give prophecy, there's like the peaks of the mountains. We can't really see the valleys. We see the valleys historically looking backwards. Ah, oh, I see, okay, yeah. But we're sort of looking at the peaks. Um, I believe part of this is dealing with that, that, tri- that tribulational period. But we also have this dealing with these, these, uh, these disciples that Jesus is addressing. Um, so I think the clearest, simplest statement I read by Guzik, um, he says this kind of on these verses, 9 through 14, which I really like. I think everybody can sort of agree on these verses or this, this definition is this section describes what Jesus' disciples should expect from his ascension when he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven until his second advent. So what life should look like between he, from the time that he departed to the time he returns, not, we're not anywhere in this, we're, talk, we're not talking about the rapture. We're talking about the second advent of the Messiah when he comes to reign and to rule. And when I start thinking about this, these guys sitting there thinking about Zechariah 14 on this location, looking at the east side of the temple, having that picture of the Messiah coming, the, the earth splitting, great waters coming out, the entrance of the Messiah. And then he starts talking about they will deliver you to tribulation, they'll kill you. All these, like, not really, it's not really that encouraging. 
although Jesus is trying to encourage them greatly in, in these verses. I, I, of the 12 disciples, we know that Judas took care of himself. Then you have 11 remaining. All of those 11, except for John, were executed. John is the exception. They boiled him alive in a vat of oil or water. There's debate over whether it was oil or water. But basically, they boiled him alive and he survived. And then because of the superstition of Nero, they exiled him to an island where he lived for the rest of his life and, and wrote prophetical books. And then the early church, like all these guys were put to death. They were like, like I, I just wanted to refresh my memory to sort of go through like the list of names and what, what, is, what is history sort of documented as their lives. We don't really know, but historically we have some ideas. And so some of the main ones, some of the disciples that Jesus is talking to, a, lot, a number of them were beheaded. A number of them were crucified. Pierced by spears, stabbed to death. I forget which one, but the one, one that I read about, I forget which guy it was, but quote-unquote, cruelly put to death. So I'm not sure how that's different from the other ones, which all seem pretty bad to me. Um, stoned and clubbed to death and burned alive. These are just, for example, how these guys would face their end. Horrible. They didn't recant. They didn't change who Jesus was. They stood there to the very end. And so Jesus says these, these difficult times will come. And then we come to verse 13 that says, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This, this verse is so often misapplied and taken out of context, saying that, oh, yeah, if you survive, like if you make it, if you get all the way through, then you'll be saved like you earn your way. That, oh, guys, don't, that's not what this is saying. Remember, the context of their question, they asked about these times. Jesus begins to share about this. The context of these, all of these guys would endure, to, all of these guys would give their life. And as they were being persecuted, I think of um, Peter as they were crucifying him. Tradition holds that as he was being crucified, he pleaded with the Roman soldiers and saying, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that my Lord was crucified. Can you crucify me differently? And they crucified him upside down as, as tradition holds that. These guys would endure. Jesus is trying to encourage them. Don't worry what happens to you. It will be okay. You'll be saved. You'll be spared. You're in my care. It'll be okay. Um, a lot of us know, I think, of, you know, if like I'm looking for applications in this passage. Don't be misled. Application number two, it'll come to me. Oh, don't freak out. Don't be afraid. And the third one, I think, is like Christ will get you through. We all, we all know, you know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I, I don't want to say that's a bad translation, but I think that we have misused that translation in such a way that I think it should be reinterpreted. I think from the Greek, and I, I, and I say this with God, in all fairness, that, I think that verse in context and the Greek language I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I think it should be reinterpreted to say, I can endure all things in Christ who gives me strength like, to endure it. That changes everything. And I think this is what Jesus is saying to the guys. Don't worry what's coming your way. He's already told us in Matthew, don't fear the one that can take your life. Fear the one who after your life has been taken can throw your soul into hell. So Jesus says, if you're walking with me, it'll be okay. doesn't matter if they take your lives. doesn't matter if they burn you at the stake. doesn't matter if they cut your head off. You'll be saved. And they were. 
And thank God for these guys. Thank God for the early church who, who that we as Amer- or English readers have the scriptures, like mul- multiple translation of the scriptures because guys refused to bow down and to not get the word out. We have the word of God at the expense of many people's lives through much blood that was shed. And, and the ability that these guys had to live that way is because Christ strengthened them, because they weren't, they weren't clinging on to their lives like it was the end all. God is the end. Bringing him glory is the end. So Jesus says, take comfort in knowing that in him you'll be spared through whatever your trials are. Maybe you're not getting burned at the stake this week, but maybe your transmission fell out. Like, like, and you don't know how to pay. God says he'll provide. And if you need a car, like, he'll provide a way for you to get your transmission fixed. He will, like, and we're Americans. We're not really worried about our next meal. Um, but maybe you're worried about the place that you live, how you're going to survive. Like, God will take care of you. Maybe you have some persecution at work, like they, they make fun of you because you're a Christian. And while that's not being burned to the stake, it's real to you. And so trust him, lean on him, take comfort in knowing that he says you, it, for his namesake, you'll take persecution. If you're being a jerk, that's a different story. But if you're being persecuted because you said Jesus is Lord and he is my God and I'm going to live for him, and if that brings you flack, take comfort in that. That's, Jesus is going to take care of you. And then finally, verse 14, as we wrap up here, it says, the gospel of the kingdom shall be, shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So there's this picture of the gospel that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day according to scriptures as payment for our sins that we might be reconciled to God. He says this gospel will go out. If you, if you compile the New Testament, you look at the Old Testament, There's this picture that it's going out amongst all peoples. And at one day, the word will have gotten out to everybody. And then, notice the and then. It happens after the the, the, and then. The end will come. Jesus, before he left and before he ascended into heaven, he, he said what we refer to as the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey, et cetera, et cetera. We believe in that here. We believe that we've been given this commission. For those of us who live in Valley Center, we participate in Valley Center, we participate in Escondido. Wherever your life is, you're a part of this commission. This is why our church cares about missionaries so much. The Bible says, go to all peoples. And so we're very much involved. I, I I can't get so emotional sometimes. It's embarrassing as a former Navy SEAL that I find myself crying at the silliest stuff. My wife makes fun of me. But last night, Lindsay sent me the video, and she said, oh, the video's done. Can we show it? And so I start showing the video. First, I say, oh, it's five minutes. We're going to have to go really quick. Then I, then I, then I uh, looked at the video, and I see the radios on the airplane in the video, and I start crying, thinking that Joe worked on those radios. And to think this, this whole... <clears throat> team effort that, that we're a part of them being out there. They need us praying. They need our support. They need our, like, we always interpret support as money, which is important. Like, they need money, but they also need relational ex- encouragement. And I love that that's a part of our DNA. 
So as we concluded, it's not the end. This is not the end of the sermon. We just sort of went in a little bit. We're going to loop back around. We'll push a little bit further. I want us to understand this in the most basic terms from, from our perspective. So the sermon's going to push forward. Jesus is going to continue for the next two chapters answering the question that the disciples asked. So far, and it will continue to say that don't be misled. This is the new year. I hope you guys have started reading your Bibles and you're all fired up. Don't, 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 don't lose steam. If you fall off the wagon, pick it up and, and just keep reading. Even if the, your like, devotional is by the calendar year, just it's okay. Just ignore the days. Just read it like a book. Or whatever you're doing, drive yourself into the Word to get to know God. Don't be misled. If the world is falling apart, and it seems like it's falling apart all the time, although a lot of Christians are like, okay, now with the election, but still, like, our leaders are not, the, our leaders are not Jesus, okay? Like, hopefully I can get an amen from that. You don't have to give me We're not a big amen person. But, like, things are going to continue to go south. I can assure you, the book says it. Like, things aren't going to get better until Christ cut. Like, it's going to get worse. And so we need to cling to him, the one who holds our soul in his hands, the one who loves us and desires us to find comfort in him. Like our hope is in Christ alone, and our commission is to share Christ with all. And so, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I ask that your grace would abound in our lives and in my life as I seek to teach through this very difficult discourse. Father, I thank you for the prophecy that we can look at in the Old Testament that we can see, wow, look how all this stuff fulfilled. It's really assuring that while we come to Christ in faith, there's so much historically, geographically that authenticates that he is who he claimed to be, that he fulfilled so much prophecy. And as we look at these passages, and as we look forward to much prophecy that's been given, that I imagine there will be a day when things go really, really, really bad for those who follow you or those who are investigating you and they can look back at the words of Christ and say, aha, maybe this Jesus is indeed who he claimed to be. And that as a result, people would put their faith in him. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to be about your business that you would help us individually to uh, be a testimony to others, that we as a church would proclaim the word of God regardless of what persecution comes our way. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us to, to really think globally, to be led by you, to be invested um, in our missionaries' lives around the world. I thank you um, that we can serve you here, that we can serve you just everywhere. I thank you that you're, you're not overwhelmed by this, for you've created all. And so, Lord, we just desire to honor you in every way. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.